Amen. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts. So tonight we begin a summer, summer, it's not really a summer sermon series anymore, but it is a late summer, fall into winter and spring and later spring and for a while sermon series in the book of Acts. And while you're turning there to Acts chapter one, I want to just mention something briefly. Um, There is a men's fellowship group, a men's fellowship gathering um, that will begin to happen at Grace Fellowship on a monthly basis. Um, There's a group of men in our church who really just have a hunger and a desire to connect more deeply with other men, to build Christ-centered friendships, to share life together um, in a deeper way, and they're going to be committed to gathering to meet together on a monthly basis. The first meeting is Monday, August 29th, so a week from tomorrow. If you want more information about that, um, you can contact Jason Curry or, or David Wood. They're helping spearhead this. Um, this meeting will be at the Woods' home. You can also just contact Laurel. Her email should be able to be found on our worship guide, and she can point you in the right direction. I just want to make sure you, you men in our congregation um, knew about this opportunity to connect deeper. So having said that, uh, we will begin our time together in God's word, and as is our custom, we will pair this reading from the book of Acts with a reading from the opposite testament, in this case, the Old Testament. So would you listen closely and carefully as I read from the book of Daniel, as well as from the book of Acts. This is from Daniel chapter 7, and this is verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. In his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. And from the book of Acts, chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask that you in this moment would do the thing that only you can do, the thing that you've promised to do. And that is by the power of your spirit to illuminate these words that are in your word, Lord, to shine light on them, Lord, to shine light on the words that I've prepared, Lord, and to use these words to great effect in our hearts and in our souls. We pray, and we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So as we begin a sermon series in the book of Acts, which I'll be saying more about why we're doing that as we go along in the weeks that are to come. But as we begin a sermon series in the book of Acts, I have come with three sermon introductions for you today. Now that does not mean this sermon is gonna be three times as long as normal, okay? I imagine you thinking that comment was funnier than you did just then. Illustration number one, and it's from the world of film. Illustration number one, have you ever noticed when you watch a sequel, it's never as good as the first? Well, in this case, in the book of Acts, that's not true. The book of Acts, which was written by Luke as a sequel to the Gospel of Luke, is as enticing and as enthralling as the first. Sermon introduction number two, and perhaps on a more serious note. One of the great pains, one of the great tensions we have to live with as Christian people is we have to live with this tension, with this pain that we serve an unseen Savior. You and I serve an unseen Savior, but just because we serve an unseen Savior, that should not be misunderstood to mean an inactive Savior. Because one of the things that we're going to see from the book of Acts beginning today is that Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and now ascended, is very much engaged in work in the world in a powerful way. And then introduction number three, I call this the 11.15 p.m. introduction. Mandy and I go to bed very late. 
And there are times at around 11 or 11.15 p.m. when my head will hit the pillow in those few moments right before I go to sleep. And I wonder if you've ever experienced what I'm about to describe. But your head hits the pillow 11.15 at night, for some of you, 10 p.m., and I congratulate you. For some of you, 9 p.m., and I'm wondering about you. (laughs) If you've ever, in that moment, right before your head hit the pillow at night, you've ever had the thought, is there something more? Is there something more? Well, that's what this sermon is about um, tonight. We're going to talk about the fact that the Gospel of Luke is intended to be part one of a part two, which is the book of Acts. We're going to talk about what that means. We're going to talk about the unseen Jesus and what he's doing right now at this very moment. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about this longing you have in your heart for something more. So that's the three movements that this sermon will take. So there's a main thing I want you to hear. In our few minutes we have together, the main thing I want you to hear, if you don't hear anything else I say, this is what I want you to hear. It's that Jesus crucified, resurrected, and ascended. The crucified, resurrected, and ascended Lord of glory, Jesus. He has rescued you not just from something, but to something. Our Lord Jesus, I'll say it again, has saved us not just from something, although he has certainly done that, but he has saved us to something, to enlist us in his mission the main thing I want you to hear tonight. So let's take a look. First, let's talk about the book of Acts as a sequel to the book of Luke. Look with me at verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So Luke begins his story of the birth of the church, and he begins by making sure we know that in the first book, I just talked about what Jesus began to do and teach. The book of Luke is intended, I mean, the book of Acts is intended to be read alongside the book of Luke. And Theophilus is likely an early first century Christian that Luke is writing for. But listen to what Luke says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. All that Jesus began to do and teach. This word began will become a very important word as we travel our way through the book of Acts. Luke, the gospel of Luke, the entire story is all that Jesus began to do. Now, I don't know if that strikes you as strange because Jesus does a lot of stuff in the Gospel of Luke. So, so for example, and I'll go quickly. I'm going to tell you everything Jesus does in Luke really fast, okay? Um, he's born, okay? He grows up, okay? He's presented at the temple. He teaches in the temple. Okay, he's baptized. 
He's driven into the wilderness to be tempted. He casts out a demon. He heals many people. He preaches in synagogues. He calls disciples. He cleanses a leper. He heals a paralytic. He calls another disciple. He takes questions about fasting. He claims to be Lord of the Sabbath. He heals someone with a withered hand. He sends out disciples. They come back to him. He ministers to a great multitude. He teaches. He pronounces woes. He teaches more. He teaches more. He teaches more. He heals a servant, um, a soldier's servant. He raises a widow's son. He sends out female disciples who, who, who accompany him. Um, he teaches in parables. He heals a bleeding woman. He's transfigured so his glory can be seen. He sends out 72, they come back to him. He rejoices in prayer to the Father. He tells a parable. He teaches his disciples how to pray. He teaches more, he teaches more. He tells another parable. He teaches more, he teaches more. 14, 15, and 16, there's lots of parables. He keeps teaching. He teaches his disciples how to pray. He weeps over Jerusalem. He rides into the city. He cleanses a temple. He suffers. He goes to the cross. He's put on trial. He's crucified. He's resurrected. He appears to disciples. And Luke, you're telling us that that is all of what Jesus began to do and teach? In other words, Luke wants us to know that there's more that Jesus desires to do. See, there is a sense in which the work of Jesus is finished. When he goes to the cross, he cries out, it is finished, meaning winning your salvation is complete and his earthly ministry is over. But we're told at the beginning of this book, there's more. There's more. And that more, as we will see in these weeks, is where you and I come in. So that's the sequel part. Now let's talk about this idea of an unseen Savior, but very much an active, alive, ascended Lord. Okay, look at with me at verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse seven, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Verse nine, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Okay, this historical event that Luke tells us in quick fashion, is called the ascension of Jesus. He's talking with his disciples. He's having a conversation with his disciples and he suddenly vanishes into the sky. And that's basically all Luke tells us. But the rest of the New Testament will assume an ascended Jesus. 
The rest of, for example, of Paul's letters, the, the logic of Paul's letters will be held together by this idea that Jesus is alive and ascended and ruling and reigning. It becomes the thread that, that holds together the New Testament, even the whole Bible together, that Jesus returns to his glory. Now, when the New Testament will talk about the ascension of Jesus, when it talks to us about what it is that Jesus is actively doing right now, the Bible will tell us Jesus is actively right now doing at least two things. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered, what is Jesus doing, like, say, right now? I'm serious. Like, what did he wake up this morning to do? In the New Testament, when it unfolds the power of Jesus' ascension, will tell us at least two things. First of all, that he ascended. Think about the way we think of when someone ascends to a throne. Okay, he ascended in order to sit down to rule the world. This is why the Apostle Paul says that he was humble, he became obedient to the point of death, but he has been highly exalted. So much so that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you imagine Jesus coming to earth to perform and to enact his earthly ministry? And can you imagine the, pro the procession in the heavenly places when Christ returned home to glory? The Bible teaches that there is more, there's more joy in heaven over just one sinner who repents. But can you imagine the joy in heaven when Jesus Christ comes back to sit down to rule? The book of Hebrews tells us at this very moment that Jesus Christ rules the world by the word of his power. So he ascends in order that he might reign and rule. And just a quick pastoral word for you in light of that truth. If you are fearful, if you get worried when things begin to unfold out of your control, if you're a planner and you become nervous when things don't go according to plan, if you're fearful of the ways in which the world seems to be moving, I just want you to remember that if Jesus Christ rules the universe by the word of his power, you have more security and more safety than any person could possibly have. And here's a second thing the scriptures teach that Jesus does. He's ascended to rule the universe by the word of his power to offer to us a steady anchor in whatever storm. But secondly, and, and I'm not joking you, the Bible teaches us that the ascended Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, actively prays for you. It says that he lives to make intercession for you and for me. He is a sympathetic high priest, able to sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. It's at least one reason he comes to earth and lives and, and dies on a cross so that he can know what it's like to be you and me. But the Bible teaches that he has ascended to the heavenly places where, and from that place, he can sympathetically pray for you. 
Y'all, the Lord Jesus Christ, seriously, woke up this morning praying for you. I want to say just a, a quick pastoral word again in light of that truth. I could not possibly know the kind of stresses you're facing in this room tonight. I couldn't possibly know that. But the ascended Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, is praying for you. In other words, you have more support. You have more encouragement. You have more strength. You have more grace than a person could possibly have beyond what you could imagine. So yes, we can't see Jesus. But the New Testament will teach that in his ascended glory, in rule and reign and authority, and as we will see next week, by the power of his spirit, you actually have something better than if you could see him. I know that's a bold statement. So the sequel, what Jesus is doing right now, and then third and finally, what about this longing in your heart for something more? What I want you to hear tonight is that the Lord Jesus Christ has saved you, not just from something, but to something. That longing in your heart for something more, what I want you to hear tonight is that this passage of scripture is an invitation to something more. One of the things we're gonna see again and again and again as we walk our way through the book of Acts is we're gonna see it as an invitation to something more. So, so let me explain. It's you, it's 11 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock or 10.30 or whenever you go to bed and your head is about to hit the pillow at night and you have that longing in your heart, that, that feeling in your heart right before you doze off to sleep. Some of you lay there, toss and turn three or four times. Some of you are asleep about the time you hit your head on the pillow at night. But in that moment when you're longing for something more, when you're asking yourself, is there something more? I want to tell you the answer to that question. Is there something more is yes, there is. And it's also no, because it's not quite what you think. So let me explain. Yes, 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 there's something more. See, this book, this fast-paced narrative of the, the early days of the church as the wild winds of God's spirit is blowing upon her, is an invitation to something more. It's an invitation to live our lives on a mission. You have been saved from something. Most certainly, the power of hell and darkness and death and sin. But you've also been saved for something, for a mission. And you're called, you, if you're in this room, you're called to be a bold witness to the realities of what Christ has done. According to verse eight, but you will see power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. You and I are called to be witnesses and, and I'm gonna act out for you what it means to be a witness. It's to live your life in a way that just kind of does this. that points beyond you, sometimes with your mouth, 
We're called to declare the truths of the gospel with our mouths. Faith, the Bible teaches, is comes by hearing. Also with our lives, Jesus says, let your good works shine before men that they see them and they glorify your Father who's in heaven. You and I are called to live witnessing lives, boldly witnessing lives to the, just the magnitude of what Jesus has done. We're called to signpost lives that are constantly pointing beyond ourselves. We're called to shine light in darkness. We're called to live our life focused on things that have eternal significance. Y'all, certain things matter more than other things. Certain things matter more than other things. And as Christian people, we've been called to live in such a way that points toward ultimate things and the ultimate one, Christ himself. I'm going to say a few things as your pastor very boldly to you, and I say it to you because I see it in me, because I'm talking to myself here. It's going to be challenging. You've heard me say before that you can't really pursue God as a side interest. Like, it doesn't really work to have the Lord as a side interest in our lives. Like, he's the Lord and King over all. It's the same idea here. It doesn't really work to have an ascended Lord of glory, Jesus, as merely a side interest of our life. If we just kind of get around to sort of spiritual things, we'll sort of think about him. See, this mission we're called into is an all-encompassing thing. It's not a side thing. So I want to press that a little deeper, and I'm talking to me. Jesus did not ascend on high to rule the world, to pray for you daily so that you can earn as much money as you can to help you feel as secure as you possibly can. And for you to find your security there. The Lord Jesus does not reign and rule over the world and daily pray for you so that you could engineer your life in such a way that you can avoid all pain and discomfort and always maintain control. The Lord Jesus does not reign in glory and pray for you daily so that you can manage sin and that sin that so easily entangles, that we're, that we're told to cast off for us to just invite its entanglements all the time. You've been, a greater victory has been purchased for you than that. The ascended Lord Jesus is praying for you for more than that. He wants more. He wants more than that for you. The Lord Jesus has not gone to rule and reign and uphold the universe by the word of his power and to pray for you so that we can just scroll our iPhones all day long. The ascended Jesus does not rule and reign in glory and pray for you daily so you can keep your kids running around with so many busy activities. So then when you hit your head on the pillow at 11 o'clock at night, you think, I just feel real exhausted. I'm not even sure what we just did. The Lord wants a deeper rest for you than that. 
the ascended Jesus Christ has not gone to rule and reign on high and to pray for us daily so that we have a church family that makes Christian, busy Christian people busier with things to do. But I do believe he reigns on high and prays for us that we can build up boldly witnessing disciples even as we have things that we do together. Do you see the difference? I mean, I, I would just be pastorally negligent and irresponsible as we read through this narrative to not let, us at, to not let it ask us that, that harder question. There's something more. There's something more. The wild winds of God's spirit are blowing. There's a mission to be a part of that's, that's more, that's more. Here's in a way I would encourage you to think in these weeks and in light of tonight. If you knew you had all the safety and security a person could possibly have, and if you had all the prayer and support and encouragement that a person possibly could have, how might that lead you to step into something with some boldness? Now, I told you the answer is, is there something more is yes, but it's also no, and no, not in the way that you might think. Let me explain what I mean. The answer is no, not in the way that we might think, because I want to make sure you hear me say that this bold witnessing thing that we're called to do begins exactly where we are. See, the same book of Acts the same Holy Spirit that would call, for example, in our body, Jake and Courtney, to go to an unreached people group, calls you and me to go to your neighborhood, to your workplace, to the very ordinary things, places you find yourself. So in other words, this living as bold witnesses thing is an invitation. It's not really an invitation to do a lot of different things, but it's an invitation to do everything differently. And I want you to know, as I look out at your faces, I can look at your faces right now. You're doing it. You're doing it. Every single day, you are, by the power of the Holy Spirit, sent out into these places to be a light, to use your gifts and skills to bless to celebrate and declare the good news of Jesus with your mouth and with your life and in relationships. And I can look out at you and I get to hear the stories about how the Lord is using you in those places, dotted all around our city tomorrow. I want you to, to hear me say that you're doing it. And I'm hoping a text like this text tonight gives you maybe a more bold confidence that the exact place that God has called you to tomorrow is exactly the sacred work that he's asked you to do by the power of spirit that you might bear witness to him that you could see the world with different eyes, with greater dependency, greater prayerfulness, and that you would know your entire life, the stuff you're doing, I'm seriously, like tomorrow, are swept up in some greater and bigger victory of Jesus. So is there something more? Yes. Is there something more? Yes. You're doing it there, here, far, close, everywhere in between. Here's what I'd encourage you to ask. If I knew I had all the safety and all the security and all the support and all the prayer that a person could possibly have because you have it in Jesus, how would that cause you to live very, very, very ordinary things tomorrow? From teaching a lesson in school to wiping 
a face <laughs> that has snack left over on it, to having a meeting, to walking in your neighborhood, to inviting those people over. How could all the things you're doing be done differently with a sacred sense of this call to witness, even if it's a quiet witness? The crucified, resurrected, ascended Lord of glory has saved you, us, from something, but he's also redeemed us to something, for something. And if you will take hold of these promises, the promises of an ascended Jesus ruling the universe, actively praying for you, if you will take hold of these promises and you allow it to infuse your heart and in your soul as you take hold of them, I'm just here to tell you there is no words for the amount of joy that you can have to live in light of those truths. You won't even believe the kind of joy that can be yours. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would make us a people who joyfully give ourselves away, who point to the truths of all the things you've done who speak them with our mouths, who live them with our lives, who open up our homes, our refrigerators, or our bank accounts in extraordinary and ordinary ways by the power of your spirit and in your authority. Would you make us these kinds of people? Lord, would we receive the invitation to this kind of joy? We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.